Hey there, I'm Hannah Rosen, and I wanted to let you know that Invisibilia is back on June 1st. This season, we're asking the question, how is it that two people can look at the exact same thing and see something completely different? You can listen and subscribe to Invisibilia on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Before we start, I want to remind you to please review the show. Seriously, just go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tell us what you think. It really helps other very attractive listeners, such as yourself, find the show. Here's a recent five-star review from Defenseman. Quote, a fantastic tool to learn about the best podcasts. End quote. Thanks. We are happy to be that tool for you. Now, let's start the show. Over the years, there's been no shortage of public radio parodies on TV. The sitcom Parks and Recreation featured the fictional Pawnee public radio. Now it's time for Jazz plus Jazz equals Jazz. Today we have a recording of Benny Goodman played over a separate recording of Miles Davis. Research shows that our listeners love jazz. And then there was Funny or Die's brilliant spoof of Serial. What do you want? I do a podcast. It was supposed to be for four people. Do you think if I thought this was going to be anything, I would have MailChimp sponsor us? What do you want to know? Do you want to know who did it? Fine. Fine. I have a confession for you. It was me. It was Sarah Koenig. Okay? I did it. And we can't forget the original public radio send-up from Saturday Night Live. You're listening to The Delicious Dish on National Public Radio. Well, Terry, tomorrow is the first Sunday in May, and it's one of our favorite holidays on Delicious Dish. That's right, Margaret Jo. Every year for one day, we celebrate and say thank you to Dietary Dietary Fiber. fiber. (laughs) But how about the public radio parody podcast? Does it exist? Yes, it does. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Cordell Nutbrook. And I'm Lauren Ober. From WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. We'll also consider the origins of new slang terms and phrases in our series, Consider the Source. And we'll consider who wears short shorts. I wear short shorts. Consider Our Knowledge is a podcast produced by Connor Bentley out of Salt Lake City. The weekly show features a handful of his friends who all pitch in to play different characters. Dinah Jones-Mallow, Cordell Nutbrock, and Peter Grigio, to name a few. Bentley calls the crew, quote, the best-looking news team in public radio. The thing about that is I feel like it's the dumbest thing you could say about a radio team. (laughs) We may not be the best team as far as the journalistic integrity and and our quality of reporting, but we are the best-looking news team. Having never actually seen the Consider Our Knowledge team, I cannot confirm that. But I will say that Bentley and his cast seem to be the most dedicated parody public radio team in the business. It's more than a hobby. The Consider Our Knowledge crew have almost 200 episodes to their credit, which is a real commitment for something they don't get paid for. I mean, I feel like it's... It's your calling. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. I want to do something creative. You know, I've dabbled in stand-up comedy, and so this is good for me to kind of get my comedy performance out there without having to do it based on somebody else's schedule. There's also another motivation. We're all a little bit sort of frustrated actors at heart that we all maybe wanted to be 
on stage or something. And so this is a good outlet for us to do that. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from Protest Monkey, the new software that helps you schedule and track all of your demonstrations, rallies, and marches so you don't miss any opportunity to protest against our new president. And the Gerund Foundation, committed to using verbs as nouns since the 16th century. Visit adding.org for more information. We'll hear more about the art of parody podcasting in a bit, but first, some real news. Opening statements are slated to begin soon in Bill Cosby's sexual assault trial in Philadelphia. Cosby was charged in 2015 with aggravated indecent assault against a Temple University employee. In the alleged victim, Andrea Constand, is one of more than 60 women who have come forward over the years, accusing Cosby of drugging and then sexually assaulting them. For Philadelphians, the charges have sparked mixed reactions. And a new podcast from WHYY, Cosby Unraveled, unpacks the entertainer's complicated relationship with the city. Whatever the actual verdict is, his career is dead in the water. So he's already been punished in that way. Disappointed or disbelieving, there are no shortages of opinions from the folks who live where Cosby grew up. Annette John Hall, host of Cosby Unraveled, welcome to The Big Listen. Thanks, Lauren. It's a pleasure to be here. You've reported in Philly for a long time, right? Over 20 years. So I wonder what people have historically thought of Bill Cosby in Philadelphia. He's a a famous son of the city. Yeah, they love him, Lauren. They are proud of the fact that he came from the Richard Allen Homes, which is a housing project in North Philadelphia, about a half mile from Temple University. They love that he is a hometown boy who made good, who comes back to the city again and again to offer his money, his time, and his cachet whenever he can. Philadelphia? I always talk about Philadelphia. If it's in my my records, if it's in my, my monologues, it's important to me because that's the the connection. Philadelphia. We're walking through Richard Allen Holmes, a housing project in North Philadelphia. We're looking for the house Bill Cosby grew up in. There's 920, 922. Would it be across the street? Why did you get the sense or have you gotten the sense over the years of why Bill Cosby has been so attached to the city? This is a city that that made him who he was. I mean, you know, he went to Temple University right up the road on a track scholarship, you know, and that was how he got his educational foundation. And then he bartended at a club downtown and would tell jokes to the customers for tips. And that's how he honed his comedy. And so this city sort of made him who he was. Now, the you mentioned that he was a bartender, which I didn't know, but I found when I was listening to that, it was very sort of prophetic or, you know, because what he has been accused of over many years by many dozens of women is is slipping them drugs and potentially in their drinks. And, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't get that connection out of my mind. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very troubling, if true. What a lot of people found troubling as well is that in one of his comedy albums, he talks about the drug Spanish fly. He did this on the interview with Larry King, too, where he talked about just taking a drop of this drug and you put it in a woman's drink. And drop you put it, it in, in a Coca-Cola. Drink. Don't matter. It doesn't make it. And the girl would drink it. And she's yours. Hello, America. <laughs> oh. So, you know, when you hear that in light of what he's alleged to have done, it just really gives you the chills. But that there there was one woman you talked to at the Richard Allen Homes, and she was sort of inclined not to believe the allegations about Bill Cosby. But then she said, but, you know, if my daughter came to me and told me these these same types of stories or something like that had happened to her, I would believe her. I'm Lynn. I'm Mary. Nice to meet you. You too. Okay. So you remember him from from his comedy? Mary Jefferson is 72 and Lynn Hercules is 56. They both have lived in the Richard Allen homes for a long time. And pretty much like everybody else in the 80s, they were fans of the Cosby show. I love the show. Why? He was more like a father to the children. A down-to-earth father, yeah. When you heard the accusations of all these women... When I heard that, I called him a dirty I didn't know all the facts or anything. Yeah. But, uh... What do you think now, though? It's two sides to every story. Yeah. But if it was my daughter and she came to me, I'm going to have to believe her. Yeah. I'm going to have to believe her. On the one hand, she is old enough to understand all the obstacles that Cosby overcame to achieve the success as a black man in America. And she admires and respects that about him. But on the other hand, she's a mother. Mm -hmm. All these people have stories and great affection for Dr. C, nor Philly Billy, Cos. But the charges against Cosby are serious. Do his friends in Philly still have his back? He was a good guy, and is a good guy in my book forever. Jimmy Heath, his friend of 57 years, stands with him. My reaction is then and now. I don't believe it. I do not believe it. Everybody wanted to get cars for money. What does Wilson Good, now a Baptist minister, think? My reaction was a, another hero uh, have been pushed down, uh, brought down, and we so often remember the bad and not the good. It does feel like he's, you know, like people are going after him and, you know, they're trying to tear him down. But then also like mm, the numbers and the volume of right. the accusations and what and how the specificity and Cosby's own words. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, and, and, and I and I, I can understand there are many examples in history of black leaders being taken down by a white establishment. And so I can see how that would be this sort of first knee-jerk reaction, right? Yeah, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. I think it's a reaction based on your lived experience. I think that if you have been oppressed in this country at all, that you see that as being 
real, mm-hmm. you know, that he could have been set up, that, you know, at the time, rumors were that he was trying to buy NBC and mm-hmm. that di- they didn't want that to happen. But on the other hand, you know, these allegations have been lingering in the background for many, many years. And just because women didn't come forward immediately doesn't mean that it didn't happen. We talked to a professor who is a woman who was a victim of sexual assault herself, and she said to us that trauma takes a long time to process. Absolutely. It could happen decades ago, but you may not even be okay just to voice it Mm -hmm. until maybe somebody else comes out and says it. You know, it's just so many layers of it. And, you know, I'm almost wishing that the trial would hurry up and get here Mm -hmm. because then hopefully the truth can come out. But you know what? I mean, you know, no matter how the verdict, there's still going to be some people that don't believe the verdict, especially here in Philadelphia. That's why this is such a Philadelphia story, right? Right. right. Because people are loyal to their icons here. I mean, don't say anything about Bill Cosby. (laughs) Don't say anything about Patti LaBelle. (laughs) Don't say anything about Allen Iverson. Just don't. I'm never going to say anything (laughs) bad about Patti LaBelle. I'm going to tell you that right now. You'll never hear a bad word about Patti LaBelle from me. (laughs) Has your opinion of Bill Cosby changed at all um, over the course of your reporting for this project? I really try very, very hard not to have an opinion because if you have an opinion, then you move the story, the narrative along in ways that it shouldn't be moved along. Mm -hmm. What we try to do is to lay the story out Mm-hmm. And let the listener decide exactly where they fall, if they fall at all. Because this has been going on for so many years, mm-hmm. hopefully what this podcast will do is like compress everything, mm-hmm. you know, like give give us a timeline. And Jeanette always talks about Jeanette Woods, our, one of our producers, says, we want people to be uncomfortable in this. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't just lay out this story and tie it up in a nice little bow and say, "Okay, that's it. We want people to marinate in the discomfort of what's going on here. Annette John Hall is the host of Cosby Unraveled from our friends at WHYY in Philadelphia. To find out more about the show, hit up biglisten.org. Remember our pal Connor Bentley from the top of the show? He makes the public radio parody podcast, Consider Our Knowledge, which is kind of funny since he wasn't a public radio listener until recently. I was very much one of those people that was like, oh, public radio is just for old people, and and I sort of poo-pooed it. And then... I really started listening to it and I got badgered by my mom and some friends like, you should really listen to it. You'd really like it. And I'm like, oh, fine. And I started listening to This American Life and Diane Rehm and um, Radiolab and all these shows. And I was like, man, these are really good. Which is why Connor felt public radio was ripe for some playful ribbing. Public radio has really taken off in the last 10 years. But I think there are elements where it takes itself a little too seriously. And I think that is really easy to just poke a little hole in. I've never taken myself too seriously. I don't know what he's talking about. Anyway, 
One of the more delightful parts of Consider Our Knowledge, especially for public radio nerds, is where they actually broadcast from. From COK Studios in Kai Rizdahl's Rumpus Room, in Renee Montaigne's Mausoleum, in Sam Sanders' Chalet, in Diane Reem's Retirement Village, in Lauren Ober's Observatory, this is Consider Our Knowledge. Point of fact, Diane Reem doesn't live in a retirement village, and she's not retired. And I don't have an observatory. Yet. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll hear from comedian Aparna Nancherla about being a consummate podcast guest. I don't even think it's to my credit. Like sometimes I'll talk to my friends. I'm like, oh, I got to do another podcast. And they'll be like, oh, I just say no to all of them. (laughs) But first, we'll check in with President Obama's former chief strategist and now podcast host, David Axelrod. The thing that links all of my careers is that I'm basically a storyteller. I'm interested in people's stories. As a strategist, my job was to tell the stories of my candidates and campaigns and, you know, eventually help the president tell his story. That's coming up next. Stick with us. This is NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from thinkaboutyoureyes.com. Did you know that your eyes are windows to your soul and your body's health? In fact, a yearly comprehensive eye exam could detect early signs of serious health issues like diabetes, heart disease, and even the possibility of stroke early enough for you to seek treatment. Be sure to visit your eye doctor every year and you might just save more than your vision. Find an eye doctor near you at thinkaboutyoureyes.com. Hey, Lauren. Uh, Tyler Collins from Manhattan, Kansas. But a little apple. Oh, they're pretty proud of that. We have two shows that I've been listening to. Really like uh, the first one is Planetary Radio. It's a super nerdy one talking about all things space. You know what NASA has done is really the heritage of the American people. And the other one is the Birth Hour. I don't know how popular that one is, but. That's a woman who brings together a whole bunch of different birth stories, from hospital births to home births to whatever else. Um, I was in labor with him for 64 hours of active labor. So that, for me, was a really kind of long... I grew up as my mom was on the midwife track and almost became licensed. Grew up as that normal part of life, and feels a little bit like home, I think. Good podcast. Thanks. Love your show. Bye-bye. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and if you like offbeat podcasts as much as our pal Tyler from The Little Apple, then dial me up. The pod line is 202-885-POD1. I want to hear your faves. David Axelrod has been in politics since the 1980s. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of races dating back to before he was old enough to vote. So there's literally no better person to host a political podcast. But Axelrod's show, The Axe Files, is different than your standard political fare. It's about the stories behind the politics told by the people at the center of the scrum. And because he's a former senior advisor to President Obama, Axelrod knows everyone. 
So he gets the best guests. Governor John Kasich, Julian Castro, and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, to name a few. My uh, my old uh, friend Rahm Emanuel was the head of the yes, he Democratic was. Congressional he Campaign Committee. He helped did so he much. Had, did, he, did you find him or did he find you? Oh, he found me. I, I was begging for his help. So I'm a first-time candidate in a two-to-one Republican district that no one thinks I have any hope of, of being successful except for my mother. David Axelrod, welcome to The Big Listen. Great to be here, Lauren. Thank you. Okay, so you generally begin most of your interviews sort of at the beginning of someone's life or career, and I'm going to do an Axelrod on you, (laughs) and I'm going to ask you when you first caught the politics bug. Well, I caught it very, very young. I was five years old, and uh, I grew up in uh, New York City in Stuyvesant Town, Mm -hmm. which was a housing development built for returning war veterans. And 12 days before the 1960 election, John F. Kennedy came to Stuyvesant Town. It was one of 10 stops he made that day, so long ago that New York was a swing state. (laughs) Uh, And uh, the woman who took care of me when I was a kid when my mother was at work was this wonderful African-American woman named Jessie Berry. And Jessie said, we ought to see this. And she took me out and she put me on top of a mailbox on 20th Street, which was this big boulevard that was usually filled with cars and now it was filled with people. And JFK uh, jumped up on a platform and started speaking and his voice was booming off of buildings and everyone was paying rapt attention to him. And even though I was too young to understand fully what it was that he was saying, I I understood that it was important, and I understood he was talking about the country and the future, and I just was uh, completely beguiled by the moment. Mm -hmm. But then straight out of college, you didn't didn't go right into politics, right? I mean, you became, you were a newspaper reporter for a while. Right. You know, it's interesting because I feel like the, the Axe Files sort of merges these two worlds of yours, the sort of journalism and the and the political yes. side. And, and I wonder if you ever feel like, you know, your journalism brain and your political brain are ever at war because you, know, you have on a lot of people uh, on your show who you don't who you might not necessarily agree with politically. Michael Steele, Bill Kristol, to name a few. Growing up, we talked politics and ideas a lot, but I was not like an intimate follower of who was doing what in the Republican caucus. And the how did your philosophy? Do you ever feel that conflict, or or do you just you know like you're just leading people in a conversation, and that's your role? You know, my my, I guess my my hope in doing the the show was to have conversations, uh, honest, open conversations, in which people could tell their stories and I could elicit their stories. And you get a sense not just of what, uh, not just of talking points or what they're saying today, but how they came to think what they think and be who they are. Because my my sense was that if, if you know people, you may disagree with them, but you don't necessarily have to hate them, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And so this was my way of kind of deacidifying politics a little bit. I listened to your interview with Governor John Kasich, mm-hmm. who who ran for president unsuccessfully. And on on your show, he's eating ice cream. Yes. And I found it to be the most charming thing. And I feel like that's the kind of sort of down home folksiness that that politicians are always trying to create. Um, yeah. And here he was just, you know, just kicking back, eating some chocolate ice cream on your show. And, and I thought, 
man, like there's a guy I probably would have voted for. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know, the fact is that he he might have eaten the ice cream before the show. He was on a tight schedule. And I said, Governor, we don't have time for this. You're just going to have to eat this ice cream during the show. But he one of the one of the uh, the requirements uh, that uh, his folks laid down was, look, he's going to want some ice cream. So you've got to have a couple of scoops of chocolate ice cream. And uh, we got him some primo ice cream, I must say. (laughs) Governor John Kasich, welcome for uh, our listeners. Uh, Governor Kasich's on the run here. So he's eating chocolate ice cream. very good. Uh, I'm going to ask lengthier questions so that he can finish his ice cream. Uh, Do you remember who your first guest was in 2015? I sure do. It was Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, I wonder why. And I I did know that I was... I was trying to quiz you. So the thing that made that podcast unique was we, because he was on a tight schedule, we rented a like a an RV and recorded <laughs> it on the way from O'Hare to the University of Chicago. But uh, it was really, you know, it was it was fun because we talked about his uh, childhood in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. the Dodgers leaving, and he got to rail against Walter O'Malley for moving the Dodgers from Brooklyn to <laughs> L.A. But uh, we talked about. I said, you know, you're an unusual rock star. Uh, Are you at all surprised by the reaction? And he said, don't talk to me about those selfies. I I hate those selfies. Oh, my God. Don't talk to me about selfies. (laughs) Don't ask me for a selfie, David. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. We also covered, you know, I, I asked him about his position on guns, which was not consistent with his progressive profile, mm-hmm. but was consistent with, with his Vermont. state. And I asked him, you yeah. know, would you have, would you take the same position if you would, if you were still in Brooklyn? And he said, probably not, yeah. you know, which, uh, which I gave him credit for. I mean, he was very honest about it. Where we are with the gun debate in America is you got two sides shouting at each other mm-hmm. and not listening to each other, mm-hmm. you know? And I think coming from a state which has virtually no gun control, but which is sensitive and understands that guns are something different here in Chicago than they are in Vermont. I think I can play a very effective role in Would bringing Would you have had together. the same posi- uh, position if you were representing Brooklyn? That's a good question. And I suspect perhaps not. I don't know. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I, I feel like... Um you know, you you. <laughs> when I listen to you, it's you're just so mild mannered. Like you're not very excitable. <laughs> you know, maybe one might say you're monotone sometimes. Yes, I wouldn't yes. say that, but some I people know, I've might. A lot of people go to sleep to uh, the Axe Files. <laughs> um, but is there anything that you get really, really fired up about? Like, do you get like if you're watching sports on TV? Like, do you go bananas? Oh or my anything? god! Or yes. You just like you know, yeah, and, okay. and about politics as well. You know, part of it is um, I don't know whether I'm overcorrecting for the environment in which we're in. That may be part of it, but part of it is, especially when I'm talking about politics. You know, I really do honor people who are in the arena. I mm-hmm. I feel like they are peers. I honor the people who are in there and and slugging it out and who have you know stood on their faces and who are willing to put themselves out there. Uh, and what I find is that uh, you know they're as passionate about this country as I am, and so I approach it in that way. I'm not you know I. I'm deeply, deeply concerned about some of the directions we're taking right now, mm-hmm. but uh, I can't live in a state of permanent outrage. I don't think it's constructive. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's more constructive to try and find a path forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but I get complaints from that. I was on my buddy uh, John Favreau's podcast, Pod Save mm-hmm. America, and somebody people uh, send messages in questions to ask, and one of them was, "Why are you so damn reasonable?" <laughs> so you worked um you worked as the senior advisor to President Obama for what three years? Two How years, two years. Two years. Do you miss working in the White House? Oh no. I I will say, I always say the same thing and I mean this very sincerely. It was the greatest professional experience of my life. It was incredible for someone like me who grew mm-hmm. up with all of this and and deeply, deeply, you know, with deep belief in it. Uh, it was an incredible experience. I learned so much every day. Every minute of every day was stimulating. Every minute of every day was consequential. Mm-hmm. But it also was exhausting and uh, draining. I can't even imagine. <laughs> so yeah, I loved it. I loved every minute of it, but I wouldn't do it again. David Axelrod is the host of The Axe Files from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN. To find out more about his show, check out BigListen.org. And now it's time for a little featurette we're calling... Wait, what? Have you ever happened upon a podcast and thought to yourself, wait, what? This is a podcast? How simultaneously random and delightful. Well, you're not alone. We have two. We wanted to showcase some of the more offbeat shows of the podcast universe. Our guide for Wait What will be our producer, Ponzi Rutch. Hey, Ponzi. Hey, Lauren. All right, so what do you got for me this week? So I think the best clue to start off this week is the opening or the theme music from this podcast. Okay. You've tuned in to the Community Cats podcast. <laughs> Ready? Nope. Let's go. I'm already I'm already feeling cat allergies from that <laughs> theme song. I'm already I'm already itchy. So, Lauren, do you know what community cats are? No. Are they different than other types of cats? Yes. Yes is the short answer. What is so a community cat? Community cats are pretty much any cat that's outside. <laughs> We call those feral where I come from. <laughs> First of all, I should introduce Stacy LeBaron. My preferred title is uh, head cat of the Community Cats podcast. <laughs> no, no, she's not. She does not call herself a cat. Oh, yes, she does. <laughs> Why is it a podcast and not a podcats? <laughs> well, and it could have been pod, you know, P-A-W, too. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I'll keep these daily podcasts brief so you can listen to them while commuting to work or you have a few minutes to sit down or even while you're out feeding a colony of feral cats, say, or waiting to catch that hard-to-catch feral cat. Um, So Stacy has been working with community cats in Massachusetts for about 23 years. They do this thing. It's called TNR, trap, neuter, release. They trap the cat, they neuter or spay the cat, and then they release it back into the wild so that it doesn't create more community cats. And there's this method where you, you like clip a cat ear so you know that that one has been fixed. And then you know, I need to catch the one that doesn't have this marking on its ear. So People like Stacy will sit around and wait for that one cat that has the unmarked ear to walk into the trap, and it gets really frustrating. Oh, my God. You spend a ton of time sitting in your car, you know, waiting for the cat to go in the bloody trap. Um, And I just sort of envisioned them sitting there listening to a podcast 
So I should say, <laughs> when she says bloody, she doesn't mean bloody like violent. She means bloody. It's really frustrating as in oh, like a British way of saying bloody. Right, the, right. The traps are harmless. It is a very particular way to spend one's time. Indeed. I will grant you that. So, yeah. But that's not the only reason why this work is tiring. A lot of this business is very alone. I mean, everybody feels like they're the only ones doing this. Am I the only one who cares about these cats? I hear that a lot. You know, well, I'm the only one doing this. I can never find anyone else to help me. It's super selfless, too, it seems like, because, you know, the cats aren't going to thank you. Hey, thanks for taking me off the streets. And I guess, yeah, the show seems like like a good support for that. And they're finding friends amongst the other podcast listeners and the other people who are doing volunteer work just like they are. It would be a way that I could learn about cats without actually having to touch any of them. Yeah, yeah. Tune into the Community Cats podcast. It'll be a total meow fest. No. <laughs> no I'll listen to it tomorrow meowning. <laughs> no, that, that one didn't work. Okay. <laughs> meow is a hard thing to work into a sentence. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, what? If you stumble across any weird and wacky podcasts in your travels, let us know. Tweet us at HearBigListen, that's H-E-A-R, Big Listen, or drop us a line at BigListen at WAMU.org. We're going to take a tiny break now, but when we come back, we'll catch up with comedian Aparna Nancherla about accidentally ending up on a conservative shock jocks podcast. I said I was single at the time, and he was like, well, why don't you wear high heels more? <laughs> and I couldn't tell if it was a joke or if I was somehow supposed to go on a rant. I, I don't know. I just, I did what I usually do, which is shut down and go inward. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. This is NPR. Hey, pals, thanks for listening to The Big Listen. Have you heard Up First, the morning news podcast from NPR? When news moves fast... It's the quick morning update on what happened and what you need to start your day. So wake up with Up First tomorrow evening by 6 a.m. Eastern Time on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Lauren. This is Stacey B. from the Upper West Side in New York City. Um, I probably a little older than most of your listeners and I love the podcast The Satellite Sisters Four Sisters, Five Sisters uh, that grew up on the East Coast now living all over the United States get together once a week uh, to talk and laugh about everything and nothing it's the story of Wonder Woman, uh, and um, it's her origin story. So you see her; she's an Amazon. Did you know that? And, uh, <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah, I saw she, a preview for it. Look, it looks like a very fun movie. It looks yeah. good. Yeah, no, it's kind of a. As they like to say, no conversation will change your life, but any conversation might. And you know what? Your show's good. I pick up a new one every couple of weeks, and I share it with my friends. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I need to get out of my podcast bubble for real. So what are the real people listening to? Call me and let me know. The pod line number is 202-885-POD1. All right, friends. It's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are listening to these days. 
And today we're checking in with comedian Aparna Nancherla. In addition to doing stand-up, she's written for the likes of Seth Meyers and W. Kamal Bell. And she's done a few acting turns on TV shows like Inside Amy Schumer, Master of None, and Crashing. Also, her web series Womanhood with fellow comedian Joe Firestone is one of my most favorite things ever. Today we'll be discussing your 30s. Living with pride and dignity in a third decade of life. Your dirty 30s. 30 flirties. I don't know anything else that rhymes. Aparna has also been on loads of podcasts because of her inability to say no, which is how she ended up on our show. Aparna Nancherla, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So I I wanted to have you on because I feel like you're like the ultimate podcast guest. <laughs> what? Because Please you've been explain. on a because you've been on a lot of podcasts. I counted that you've been on like 12 shows at least. Oh my gosh, I think it's been more than that, but I don't I don't have an official record. <laughs> I mean, besides being charming and delightful, what makes you such a phenomenal podcast guest? And does that translate into like being a good party guest? I don't even think it's to my credit. Like sometimes I'll talk to my friends, I'm like, "Oh, I got to do another podcast." And they'll be like, "Oh, I just say no to all of them." <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's more that I'm an easy mark. So you should have said no to us, but instead you said yes, and you'll tell your friends, like, oh, I just had to go and do the show, and they're like, oh, again, Aparna, come on. I think, well, I think, no, like, in this case, it would be an easy yes, but I think I have a history of just saying yes to all of them, and there are so many of them right. of varying quality and range. <laughs> I think one time I was interviewed in someone's car, and, <laughs> no, you weren't. Yeah, and but that was like the conceit of the podcast, I guess. So I guess he was being true to what he promised. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, apart from, I'm wondering about like terrible experiences that you've had on podcasts besides sitting in, I'm not saying that sitting in someone's car was terrible, but have you had any experiences where you're like, mm, no, thank you, not for me again? Well, I I remember I did a podcast once where the host was... I didn't realize it, but he was kind of like a conservative shock jock sort of thing. And I didn't realize that going into it, I just sort of knew his name from uh, things he had done. But I didn't know that was like a turn he had taken in his life. So, Was it, was it Alex Jones on InfoWars? I, mean, I wish it was Alex Jones. It was uh, Gavin McInnes who oh. founded Vice. Yeah. Let's get into you. How old are you? I am 32. Okay. Are you in a relationship? I'm not. Are you a heterosexual? I am. I'm not heteronormative. You're not heteronormative. Um, we got to get cooking. Okay. I mean, with the kids and the relationship. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. What, it, what now is the range for women to have children? Okay. Here's the deal. And I wish this wasn't more commonly known, but yeah. at 30, this is the, your ovaries in an hourglass. Okay. It gets flipped over. Sure. The sand is draining yeah. 30 to yep. 35. There's by definitely th sand in there. <laughs> by, by 35, the sand is gone. Yeah. Now, my wife... I don't know what I thought the podcast would be, but it was a lot of him sort of baiting me and then me failing to perform in the combative <laughs> way I think he wanted. Like the bait was dangling there and you just kept swatting it away? Yeah, like he, he, I think one thing he said, I said I was single at the time and he was like, well, why don't you wear high heels more? 
Um, and if you have heels on mm-hmm. Thursdays and Fridays, yeah. After you could even bring them in your purse, yeah, and just put them on at like ten, okay, ten to one. So that's six hours a week. <laughs> and what the it's heels do is they say, uh, "I'm available. I'm interested." Uh, I w- it didn't just come through a breakup. Flats say, I'm going through a rough time right now. Don't talk to me. <laughs> and it's I like a top couldn't concept. tell if it was a joke or if I was somehow supposed to go on a rant. I, I don't know. I just, I did what I usually do, which is shut down and go inward. Right. So it was a lot of me being like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right. You're like, do you want to talk about like my career or yeah. like my job, like what I do for a living? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awful. It I'm was sorry scary. you had to. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. I hope that um, you're not having such a horrible time on our show at this moment. No, as- not at all. And the weird thing about that show is that people will contact me on Twitter and be like, "Hey, I found you through Gavin McInnes's podcast," and I'm like, "Oh, that is that is probably the worst way to have found me." I'm really shocked you followed up on that. That's terrible. No, I wonder, you know, like you were saying a lot of comedians, you know, if they have their own shows and then it brings or they have their own podcast and then it brings people out to their live shows. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, if that's something you ever thought about. I mean, so many comedians have their own shows. Was it ever something you thought, well, maybe I should do this, too? Or was it like, no, I'll leave that to other people or I'll just be a guest on everybody else's show? Yeah, I, I think I've thought about it a little bit but I've never had an idea that's really struck me like I did a podcast mini series with a friend and fellow comedian Jacqueline Novak which was sort mm-hmm. of around dealing with depression in everyday mm-hmm. life and it was just three episodes from the depths of functional despair it's Blue Woman Group with Jacqueline Novak and Aparna Nancherla we're here we're depressed get used to it <laughs> Aparna, do you feel like people can tell that you're depressed at the office? I think when I think when you're depressed, you feel like it's very clear. And maybe for some people they are, but I think I'm very guarded about it. And usually people can't tell. Mm. I mean, I think I'll be maybe even more withdrawn, but I'm not a loud person in general. So it's mm. not a huge difference. That's a real benefit of not being a, a um, you know, tap dancing fool like myself. <laughs> Why? Do you feel the opposite? I can be a bit of a tap dancing fool, I think. So, so sometimes you've been on so many shows and in a lot of the on a lot of podcasts, you talk about some pretty heavy stuff like your own mental health. And I wonder, you know, what it's like to sort of put all that out into the world in a podcast form, you know, you're sharing all this information with people, but once you've said it into the microphone, it's not yours anymore. Yeah, it is interesting because in in talking about mental health, sometimes you do get lumped into this sort of like category of like the sad clown or like the broken artist and and then you're expected to speak to all of that and it's like, well, I can't represent the whole range of mental health. I only have my own experience. So that can be tricky because you don't want to step on someone else's story. Right, exactly. So I wonder, um, are there are there shows that, of course, you, you have a history of saying yes, but are there shows that you would really like 
to have reach out to you that haven't yet, like you'd love to be on? I tend to really like podcasts about the human brain and like human behavior. Mm -hmm. So I think any chance to be on one of those would be really cool. But I don't know exactly what my angle would be. But I'm lucky in that like uh, Invisibilia, which is a podcast I really like. The late 60s and early 70s were a golden age of concept albums. Tommy, Hotel California, Dark Side of the Moon. They all had one big theme connecting all the tracks. So why am I telling you this? Because in 2017, Invisibilia brings you... Our own concept album. But it's like way nerdier. So much nerdier. It's like a concept album about concepts. So nerdy. Our episodes are all connected by this one very provocative idea we've come across. A kind of Pink Floydish idea that the world you think you're living in... Three. Two. It's not real. And one. They've reached out to me before about somehow collaborating, and Mm -hmm. we haven't figured out a way to do it yet, but it's nice that we're on each other's radar. And then I also really like Hidden Brain. Right. This is Hidden Brain. I'm Shankar Vedantam. People in romantic relationships often share things in common. A love of the same sports team, maybe the same religion, sometimes a common profession. But for some couples, the similarities go further. The girl that I'm dating now, we have the same birthday, which is kind of cool. My fiancé, Israel, and I have the same birthday. So yeah, I think the human human behavior uh, really taps into my undergraduate psychology degree. <laughs> so uh, so what are you listening to right now just for fun? I've been listening a lot to um, this podcast by two other fellow comedians who are um, two women, Jackie Cation and Lori Kilmartin. They do a show called The Jackie and Lori Show. <laughs> and uh, they both sort of have a love-hate relationship with it. So it, they almost feel like they were forced to start one just yeah. by virtue of like everyone has one right. so they were like fine we'll have one we're just gonna name it the what exactly it is oh my god it's just really interesting and i feel like rare in entertainment to like hear from women who have been doing it for so long and just been around for a long time and just the way the landscape has changed. So it's a little bit of an inside comedy podcast, but I just Mm -hmm. find their dynamic really fun and just their takes on things that have changed from when they started to now. Yeah, yeah. Aparna, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Aparna Nancherla is the multi-talented comedian behind the web series Womanhood from Refinery29 and the limited-run podcast Blue Woman Group from Earwolf. To find out more about what Aparna is up to or what shows she recommended, go to biglisten.org. It's got the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. Oh, what? No. But before we let you go... Chartography Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. And with dozens of new podcasts dropping a day, I swear, number 289 is pretty dope. Okay, so this week's podcast, I had to... Okay, what was it even called again? 
Oh, it's called The Renzo Republic. And it's hosted by a guy named Remzo W. Martinez. And he lives in Virginia. And apparently it is a clash of punk rock and politics, although I did not get any punk rock feeling vibe at all. There was like there was like some sick guitar licks in the beginning. But it was like less punk rock and more sort of like hair metal. Um, so this is a libertarian podcast. Um, I have to admit that I kind of got really confused as to what libertarianism was after listening. I just don't understand. Like, um, you know, I. <sighs> he and his guest, Dana Moxley Cummings, who is part of the Florida Libertarian Party. Dana, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Had a very long conversation about libertarianism and fascism. And then the fascist hat flips. Right. For sure. I really kind of lost the thread in there, and I don't think I'm a dumb person, but it really did make me feel like a dumb-dumb. It really, I can't understand when someone can't connect those dots, because to me, I feel like it's one plus one is two, you know? Let's see. What else can I tell you about this podcast? Uh, Apparently, they're going to make freedom fun again. I need to have fun a lot more. So, apparently, like, Rand and Ron Paul, they made it fun back in the day, um, but they're kind of like getting drowned out a little bit but uh yeah so the uh the the remzo republic all about libertarianism so if that's your political persuasion of choice get your ears on that i guess want to listen to the big listen on the go well guess what you can just go to itunes or npr one or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe then we'll be dropping into your feed each week automatically like magic. We love us some listener feedback here, so please like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at here big listen, that's H E A R big listen, so follow us. And if you're in Russia, check out our new back channel. It's pretty sweet. If you want to send us love notes, our electronic mail address is big listen at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston, Daisy Rosario, and Ponzi Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was busy Googling the sound of Jared Kushner's voice. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Connor Bentley, host and producer of Consider Our Knowledge, about why it makes sense that parody and satire should be on the rise now. You're seeing this boom of satire right now with, you know, what's going on with Samantha Bee and John Oliver and, you know, even Colbert now on The Late Show. And I think there's sort of a a need for that voice, a little spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine of the current political climate go down. Consider Our Knowledge is doing that, but it's through the lens of public radio. And we're not above some light teasing here in public radio land, especially when it serves the greater good. Till next time. Keep listening, America. That's so creepy. This is NPR. No, really, it is. I promise. Hey, the podcast is over. You need to get out of here. But... Before you scoot, how's about you go, leave us a review on iTunes, and let everyone know what you think of the show. It would really help other very attractive listeners, such as yourselves, find the show. Thanks so much.